I'm David Enders, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. We are coming to you on Saturday and Sunday as Israel's war on Gaza continues to bring you the latest updates. Today, after forcing doctors, patients, including infants on life support, and displaced people to leave Gaza's largest hospital and move south, Israeli forces bombarded the Gaza Strip, killing dozens. Also, Palestinian and Israeli leaders speak out to their angry and frustrated people as Israeli raids and arrests continue in the occupied West Bank. It's Sunday, November 19th. As we record this, it's 12 noon GMT. That's 2 p.m. in Gaza and 7 a.m. in Washington, D.C. It's been another bloody day across Gaza, with deadly attacks by Israeli forces targeting refugee camps and homes. In the city of Han Yunis, leaflets were dropped on residents in the eastern districts, warning them to move to the west. But freelance journalist Akram al-Satri says that at the same time, Israel increased its airstrikes in that area, creating a sense of fear everywhere. Han Yunis West Area witnessed a series of Israeli bombardments targeting houses in different areas. In Khan Yunis refugee camp that witnessed three different bombardments claiming the lives of around 20 Palestinians, while another incident in uh, Hamad city claimed the life of around 30 Palestinians. So people who were asked to move from the east to west are wondering now whether they will be safe because they have already seen that the targeting is very thorough, that no one is safe and no one in any particular area of the Gaza Strip is spared from the ongoing bombardment. This comes a day after thousands of people were forced to evacuate Al-Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza and walk south. 31 premature babies who are left behind in Al-Shifa have now been taken to health centers in the south. Two died before they could be transferred. The World Health Organization visited the empty hospital and described it as a, quote, death zone. Akram says the people arriving in Han Yunis are also reporting more deaths and violence along their journey. Israeli soldiers are also increasingly restricting the movement of those who are fleeing. I personally met one of the people who were just fleeing from the north to the south, and he was telling me how traumatized he was seeing elderly women, seeing the children, and also young women who were fleeing for safety, killed and their bodies decomposing on the sides of the, uh, of the roads. For almost two weeks, tens of thousands of Palestinians have been making similar trips. Getting from Gaza City to the south can take upwards of five hours, walking on damaged roads under the hot sun. He was telling me about how the Israeli occupation was fixing cameras, I think for facial recognition and how they were stopping some people, how they were allowing the mothers to enter while not allowing the children to enter or allowing the husband to enter and leaving the wife behind or vice versa. So they're extremely traumatized. They are now even more convinced about how vulnerable the community in, in Gaza is and how permissible the Israeli army is when it comes to targeting different houses schools, infrastructures, and hospitals. And they see this issue of Ashifa as one further ugly step of an ongoing war against Palestine at large. 
In the occupied West Bank, Israeli forces again carried out more raids on dozens of homes in refugee camps near Nablus and Jenin. They raided homes belonging to activists, the families of prisoners, of former prisoners, in a kind of night campaign that Palestinians describe as something that is meant to sow fear and intimidation in those communities. That's Al Jazeera correspondent Zain Basravi in Ramallah, in the occupied West Bank. The violence there and across Gaza prompted Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas to make a speech directly addressing U.S. President Joe Biden. President Biden, I call on you, with all your official and humane qualities, to stop this humanitarian catastrophe, this genocide against our innocent people. History will not absolve anyone of these crimes. I call on you to provide relief to our besieged people in Gaza. Zain says Abbas's speech reflects the mood among many Palestinians. Something that is really interesting in this speech is that everyone feels what President Abbas was saying. The only party now that can stop Israel from doing what it is doing is the U.S. government, which is simultaneously the largest sponsor, both political and practical, of the Israeli war on Gaza. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is also feeling pressure as families of the hundreds of captives held by Hamas push his government to take more action. The captives are an open wound in Israel's psyche at the moment, and they are a massive vulnerability for Netanyahu's government. Al Jazeera's correspondent in occupied East Jerusalem, Rory Challens, says rumors of a negotiated deal have brought some hope, but also more painful waiting. The pressure is really building on Netanyahu. Families and supporters have been marching in recent days. They started in Tel Aviv, and five days later, they arrived in Jerusalem outside uh, Netanyahu's office. And they worry that the Israeli onslaught on Gaza risks the lives of their loved ones, uh, along with Gaza's Palestinians, and they want the government to refocus on getting those captives home alive. Now, for many days there have been these rumours of, of a deal being negotiated, brokered by Qatar, uh, because of its channels to Hamas. Is that deal close? Well, there have been reports that it is, um, but nothing yet. Under the terms of a deal, what we would likely see is women and children being released. In exchange, Israel would agree to a ceasefire of several days, humanitarian aid, and the release of some of the thousands of Palestinian prisoners it's holding. But the White House and Netanyahu have played the closeness of a deal down. So in the meantime, Gaza's immense suffering and trauma continues, and with it, the immense suffering and trauma of the Israelis waiting for the news of their captive loved ones. And that's The Take for Sunday, November 19th. Please join us again tomorrow. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn and mixed and hosted by me, David Enders, in for Malika Bilal, with Zaina Badr, Khalid Sultan, Sari Al-Halili, Sonia Bagat, Amy Walters, Faranisa Campana, Chloe K. Lee, and Ashish Malhotra. Alex Roldan is our sound designer, Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.